Is there any way to do a quick clean of the carburetor jets while they're still on the outboard of a two-stroke? Yes, there is. You could use something like Power Tune or Evinrude Engine Tuner. I don't know if they still make that stuff anymore, but those are the two products. Technically, I don't really advise that. I mean, if it works for you in one particular situation, but most of the time for me, like by the time I get to something, for one, I haven't messed with a carburetor for months now. I really don't work on them that much anymore. But by the time a boat gets to me, I'm usually like, the last one. So um, it's already been messed with and everybody's tried to do it without taking the carburetors off. So I don't really try and clean a carburetor with it on the engine. I just take the thing off of there, disassemble it, clean the carburetor and move on. And, you know, with putting it back onto the engine, so that way it's not even a deal. But for your question, yes, you can do something like power tune or engine tuner, putting that into the carburetor or into the intake of it and um letting that run through the carburetor if it's not that bad of a clog inside the carb then that will sometimes work you can also use like brake cleaner but that's not really the best thing to use simply because of the float and the needles that are in the carburetor contact cleaner can be pretty harsh but other than that those are the two products that i would try but you should probably just take the carburetor off of the engine and clean it because it's 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 a carburetor the the jets inside the carb are so small that you really need to take the carburetor off the engine and do a physical clean of it in order to make sure that you resolve the issue that's why i generally don't try and clean it with it on the engine i just take it off clean it and that way i know 100 percent that that carburetor is good to go and i can put it back on because if you squirt power tune or engine tuner into the carburetor dislodge something and it runs for a little bit what you dislodged, if you that didn't get you know sucked out of the carburetor and, and is no longer in the picture, then it could potentially get right back where it was and clog the carb up again. And now you, you're back in the same problem and the carb's got to come back off. So it's like you're doing the same job twice because you tried to do a little cheat around. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I would say, you know, maybe it's like a 50-50, 40-60, something like that as far as will it work? How long it will it work? I mean, that's a whole other question. You also, and Carter Hamlet was the one that asked that question. He also asked, how would you flush clean gas through the engine if it was carbureted? I have a two-stroke V6, so would I open all six carb bowl drains and then keep pumping fresh gas until content? Also, when you were starting the engine, were you running it off that five-gallon external fuel tank? Is this okay to do without a fuel pump in line? This is talking about a video where we are cleaning out, you know, starting an engine that has been sitting for a long time. And, um, yeah, you you would just take the drains, the, the drains out of the carbs, out of each one of those carburetors, and squeeze the primer bulb, push that fresh gas into the carb until, you know, it starts to come out the bottom to get rid of anything that's in the carb. And then put the bowls in as you go up the line to, you know, fill it up with fresh gas. And yes, of course, it's okay to use an external fuel tank. That is like a huge diagnostic tool when you're talking about doing, you know, a fuel issue on an engine is disconnecting the fuel tank and the boat from the fuel that's going to the engine. That way you 100% know that you've got good clean fuel going to that engine when you are trying to troubleshoot, say, a running issue or a fuel issue. Now, as far as you're, you're talking about, is that okay without a fuel pump in line? I'm not really sure what you're getting at there. Um, 
usually you got a primer bulb in the system, but as far as something that is, you know, a fuel pump in line, I don't know hundred percent sure on that one. So, but other than that, yeah, that's pretty much it with the carburetors. I would strongly try and get you to go ahead and take that carburetor off the engine and clean it. They're super easy. I mean, it's basically just taking it off. You could soak it in a, an actual carb cleaning solution, but an ultrasonic cleaner, but you need to make sure you get the gaskets out, get the needle out, get the float out, all that stuff out because those things can warp and they do wear out. So you could take a carburetor off and clean it and then put it back on. But if the needle's worn out, if the seat's worn out, if the um, float is misaligned, which pretty much carburetors are pretty easy to set the float, you just hold the carb you know, flat and then the float, when it rests down, it should be level with that the edge of the actual carb. But um, there's not much else that will fail in them. You'll get stuff that'll build up inside the jets and jets are so small that they can wear out. So the carburetor will wear out. But other than that, take it off, disassemble it, clean it, put it back together, put it back on the boat, and then you know that thing is clean and you won't have any problems with it. So moving on to Abbey Normal Garage, it would be faster with twin 152 stroke Yamahas, sound better too, at 411 pounds per engine. There's a good comparison video on YouTube. The two strokes definitely had a better hole shot. Talking about two strokes and four strokes, this is a big topic. Everybody um, loves talking about the difference in a two stroke and a four stroke. And yes, you did get more of a whole shot and more power out of the two stroke than 150 than you did the four stroke 150s for most engine manufacturer models. Something else that's pretty interesting is that most of the 150 two stroke engines were all V6s, whereas now all the 150s by and large are a four-cylinder, inline four-cylinder engine. So yeah, you're going to get more power, a better whole shot out of a two-stroke six-cylinder engine than you are going to be a inline four-cylinder engine as a four-stroke. But um, yeah, in most countries in the world, you can't buy a two-stroke. So I mean, that discussion is kind of that. They're, they don't make them anymore. I wish they did, um, but I live in the United States, so I can't get one unless it's used, can't get a new one. So now Rocker Nuts talking about a sweet design, but a nightmare to work on. This is talking about a video with a pursuit where they made a hatch that went over the outboard. So you got the, the back of the boat. I think it was a pursuit. Yeah, it was a pursuit. On the back of the boat, you had the transom normal, but then they extended the back of the boat out around the outboards and then put a big, huge hatch that would come up out over the top of the outboard. So they were basically covered. I mean, kind of like a design where you're trying to make a, an outboard boat look like an inboard boat. Um, you know, yeah, it's a sweet design, but yeah, you're right. It's a pain to work on because you got to take this whole hatch and extend it out, disconnect it, pull it off the boat when you're doing, you know, major work on the engine. So um, yeah, sweet design, but definitely a nightmare to work on. Braden McKay tips for mobile servicing a currently once a month, I'll be working out of a pickup away from the workshop, normally three to four boats serviced per day and find myself rushing the jobs to keep on time. Oil gets everywhere. Tools get forgotten. Um, he's over in New Zealand. Yeah, that is a big problem. I mean, mobile service is completely different than doing 
you know, shop work. Like if you're at a shop and you're doing like you're talking about doing services. Yeah, dude, you can just bust out services all day because everything's right there. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. You just like you go to the boat, you service the engine, you pull off, clean the boat, done. You can you can bang them out. But when you're on the road, that is a totally different way of doing something. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what your pay is like because um, organization is going to be key as far as like being able to save time because you can only shorten down how quick it takes you to do the service so much. Like a service takes however long the service takes based on how efficient you are, but you can only get so efficient. I mean, it takes so long for the oil drain. It takes so long for the gear lube drain. It takes so long to fill it up. And it takes so long to change out the filter. So there's only so much that you can do in order to speed up that process outside of keeping yourself organized on, you know, in whatever you're doing. If you're working out of a pickup truck, that's, that's probably the worst because, um, yeah, pickups, even the ones that have a utility bed are, are not very good for doing mobile service because, you're just not set up like a van's optimal. If you got a van, you can really set that thing up, but you got to take the time to set that up and make sure you're organized before you even leave. I mean, like the night before you need to know what jobs you're doing the next day and make sure that your truck is already loaded up with everything that you're going to need in order to do the jobs that you got to do. And yeah, you add windshield time, drive time and cleanup time and everything on top of that. And, and now it's not necessarily just, getting the oils and gear loops into like your containers, taking them over, dumping them into your main disposal and dumping your filters. Now you've got to, you know, package all that stuff up. You got to get it into a bucket, make sure you got a lid on the bucket, make sure everything's, you know, zip locked up. So that way you're not splashing oil everywhere as you're driving. Um, definitely keeping the five gallon buckets for your gear loops to dump everything in. And then, um, organizing yourself so that way you know you know you're going here going there going here but i mean based on your pay uh, that'd be another topic too is what you're getting paid because if you're getting paid flat rate or anything like that um yeah you when you're uh, when you're at the shop you're doing three four services in a day and then when you're on the road you're probably working three or four hours more and you're only getting three of the two to three services done just because of that added time so if you're on some sort of a flat rate, I would definitely be thinking about that because you're the one that's going to be taking that hit as far as what you get paid because of the operation not being organized and set up to accommodate for being on the road. Um, a anemic talking about Everglades again, talking a couple of videos back about top five boats to restore top five boats to flip things that hold their value. Everglades, Everglades make a great boat. They do hold their value pretty well. Um, I'm a fan of an Everglades. Not much else on a comment there. Rowan BR. I use Aspen four can sit up to five years. So I checked this stuff out. So Aspen four is like a fuel. So this is off of a video where we're talking about, um, you know, storing stuff and making sure you got good, clean fuel. And um, Aspen four is like a fuel, like, petrol product uh, outside of like, you know, normal refined gasoline, but, um, yeah, it's better for the environment. I didn't really see how expensive it was. Um, it's very interesting to see. And if it's got a shelf life of five years, so 
It definitely helps people that are going to be storing their outboards. You can use something like that where you can run some of that in your boat before you store it. So that'll help you out quite a bit. Sean Russell, any parts that you would strictly go with OEM or generally look at all options? Talking about where we had the problem with the fuel pump on the little bully netter and it ended up frying our ECU. Now for this, I would definitely say um, like sensors and stuff like that. I'm going to try and stick straight OEM. Like I'm going to be OEM across the board, but when it gets into this bigger stuff, like um, the fuel pump, stuff like that. I mean, you're talking huge price differences from an $800 pump to a $78 pump. So I would, I'm generally going to be looking at all options, but I'm going to be sticking as close to OEM as I possibly can. Even on oil filters and stuff like that, I try and, you know, put Yamaha, you know, in water separators too, like using a quality water separator. So Raycors over like Sierra and Sea Choice, stuff like that. And even, you know, the Yamaha water separators, the Mercury water separators, I try and stick with OEM stuff altogether just because it seems like a better product. Now, oil filters, same thing. Like I was saying, I would stick with the OEM. Also, the sensors. Now, a lower unit. So you got um, SCIs and OBRs. That can save you a ton of money if you blow a lower unit, but they only make certain models, certain stuff. So I would. I ran an SCI for three years on my Yamaha OX66. So it... It definitely will save you quite a bit of money on that aspect, lower unit wise. But yeah, alternators, starters, sensors. Um, I pretty much try and stay OEM. I don't really go much into the trial world of the aftermarket stuff. Austin Hall, where do you like to get parts aside from eBay and Amazon? Um, I really will shop around. So knowing local dealers, marinas, having, you know, relationships with different places like that. And I'll shop it around. So Amazon, eBay, Marketplace, I don't really find much off Craigslist, but the marinas that I know, and then also partsview.com, boats.net.com, or boats.net. And I will basically, you know, shop around and see who's got the best rate and, and all that kind of thing. So those are my top places, but the marinas, usually I, I have relationships with places to where I can get deals on stuff and they all have accounts with Lane and C, Donovan, Port Supply, and the major manufacturer distribution centers. So usually I kind of go that route over eBay and Amazon. Greg says the fuel pump is probably the most common part people cheap out on with an aftermarket parts. There is a reason that OEM is five times the cost as the cheap one. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, like the fuel pump is what everybody goes for an aftermarket pump because you're talking not five times, but seven times in some situations, like, you know, from a $50 pump to an $800 pump is a big jump. And, um, yeah, that is one of the problems that I would say is that the problem that I had was the amp draw, but you kind of live and learn on that situation there. Owen, pretty cool to see your UTI meter. I'm in MMI right now. Um, thank you. Awesome, Owen. Uh, I will actually be there in that building coming up soon for some Mercury stuff. So 
That's pretty sweet. And the UTI meter, yeah, that thing I've had for 12 years. It's basically the blue point meter, but I love that meter. That's that's the best meter. I would tell people to buy that. Like when I tell when I talk about people, you know, what meter should I buy? This, that, and the other, that's the one that I recommend. Even over the snap-on one. Well, the snap-on one and that one's pretty much the same thing, except for the snap-on is like a color screen, but I mean, doesn't really matter. You don't really need a color screen on your meter, so I would go, I go with that blue point, even though I got the old UTI one. 12 years is a long time to keep that meter too. So definitely, definitely a good meter. Paul Thompson, I liked how you added the solenoid for the fuel pump to be activated by the ECM. Too bad it got fried to start with. Great lesson for the rest of us. Thanks. Yes, sir, Mr. Paul. Um, yeah, there's always a way around things. Like if you think about something, that's kind of the whole point of like the podcast and the whole channel and everything like that is to kind of show people, you know, what's possible. Everything doesn't always have to be, you know, this way or that way. There's a lot of people that draw a hard line on things that, I mean, for a lot of people out of there, the majority, majority of boaters out there are just trying to get on the water. Like a lot of us don't have the finances to be, buying hundred, two hundred million dollar boats. Um, you know, we got a two thousand, three thousand dollar boat, and you're talking about having to buy two thousand dollar parts to put on that boat. Like that's a big deal. So if there's a way that someone can make their boat get on the water and work, then why not? What's wrong with that? Like I don't see why people get so frustrated and they, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. And you should go ahead and spend that money. Well, there's a lot of people that don't have that money. So what about those people? Just don't go on the water. You can't afford a boat. I mean, that's what everybody says that you just can't afford to be boating. But I mean, I try not to think like that. It's too, I don't think that's the best way to look at things. To naked surfers, could anything else go wrong with while filming this engine? So yeah, on that bowling air, that that Mercury had the most problems out of any engine that I've dealt with in a long time. Even the HPDI, even the 300 HPDI didn't have as many problems as that 25 horsepower Mercury. That engine, I mean, and I usually stand up for Mercury quite a bit, but that thing was a disaster. I mean, from the ECU to the fuel pump to the... Um, to the trim unit, to the fuel cooler, to uh, the VST, the the IAC, like really, I mean, that's probably why that model, like people just hate that engine because it had so many problems and it takes all these things to fix it. And then once you get it fixed, it's good to go. But beforehand, that model, like I've, I know quite a bit of people, they're like, oh, you got that 2530, get rid of that thing. Like as soon as you can make it run and get rid of it. Cause you got to do all this other stuff to keep that thing running. But anyway, Huntman already had to replace the transfer lugs in my boat. It's a 2021 did not burn anything up, but I touched it and felt loose ended up cr being cracked and was falling in half. That's unfortunate. If you've got already, you've got some broken lugs, transfer lugs in the, in your boat. Um, this is off a of video talking about, charging issues, starting issues, stuff like that, where you've got um, transfer lugs in the back of the boat. Like your batteries are going to be in the console, battery switches up in the console, and then wires that go to the back of the transom and then hook up to a transfer lug and then feed power from the transfer lug up to the engine. And um, those are a common place for you to have an issue with 
you know, they get loose, corroded, broken, whatever may be the case. And that's a, that's a big problem for charging issues and starting issues. And he said he already had one that was cracked and broken. I mean, honestly, that was probably done straight from the factory when it was put on, like it was probably cracked, you know, when they put it on and when they tightened it, it, it probably cracked it the rest of the way and broke it. But you know, you might not have felt it whenever you do it. Sometimes you can do stuff like that where you just tighten something and it, you don't really notice it because you're just putting all the stuff in. So that's most likely what happened there. And that's unfortunate because that's only a two-year-old boat and have broken parts in it like that, but it's a boat. What are you going to do? Water ski pilot. What are your thoughts on aftermarket injectors? Um, I don't really, I don't think I've ever really used any aftermarket injectors. Um, because you can take injectors out, you can clean them, you can have them rebuilt. And then, um, you know, I've always had injectors around based on what's going on. So between having rebuilt and um, cleaned injectors, I've never really had a need to use aftermarket injectors, at least in my experience. So I don't really have an opinion on that or any thoughts because I've never messed with it. And injectors and injector though. I mean, I think that there's a lot of parts on engines that are like, it, it's a part like an oil filter is an oil filter. Like it, it, it filters oil and same thing for a lot of this stuff. It's a, a water separator is a water separator. A, um, you know, an injector is an injector. Like it serves one purpose. The thing opens up for a specific amount of time based on what the computer tells it to open up and how big the holes are in it to allow X volume of fuel into the cylinder. I mean, between an OEM and an aftermarket, functionality-wise, who knows? But then it's always on the back end, too, where what, how was the thing assembled? Like the fuel pump, um, it drew more amps than the OEM, so the repercussions for that is could be really, really bad. Okay, we'll go ahead and do one more. Uh, Mark Shedler, love you guys. Thank you. There isn't a second of your work that isn't carefully done as a part of a whole. Beside your skill, you have so much talent for this craft. On topic though, while I agree with your points, how much does a 10-year experience tech learn from the certification training? And in these times, a big problem are businesses relying on high rates overselling the competence of the techs coming in and out on a revolving door. Anybody hired a plumber at $250 an hour only to find out the fix is all over YouTube, but the plumber had never seen the problem before. Keep the work coming. Keep the good work coming. Okay, you got quite a bit in this topic. So um, we're talking about how much does a 10-year experience tech learn from the certification training? Honestly, a 10-year tech really doesn't learn that much more from a certification training program, but usually it is all continued education type of stuff. So like if you've really been turning wrenches professionally for 10 years, you should have a pretty good handle on most of everything that's going on in the industry and with the products that you handle on the day to day. But that's why they have continued education courses to learn the new stuff. So like what's coming out next, what's coming down the road, what um, new features, things have new um, rigging components, new, just new stuff, whatever the brand that you work on, when they come out with new stuff, there'll be a continued education course that you will learn the new stuff coming out to kind of like get you ahead of the curve of 
you know, getting your hands on the product and then having to figure it out as you're working on it, opposed to, oh, I kind of see, you know, this new engine model is out and it works this way and it's got these features and you kind of got a handle of what's going on with that product before you have to start figuring out problems with that product that happen to whoever owns it on the day to day. So I think that's more like what you're going to learn from those courses as far as, you know, how much does a 10 year experience tech learn from the certification training? That's what they really learn. It's not like they're learning anything new because once you've been working on engines for 10 years, you kind of, you should have a gist of what's going on with it. Now, um, I mean, a big problem, here's the next thing he's talking about in these times, a big problem are businesses relying on high rates, overselling the competence of the techs coming in and out of a revolving door. That is so true. Um, I think that is in every trade though. For the past like 10 years, you've seen a massive decline in the abilities and the, let's say professionalism of a lot of the skilled industries from the plumbers, the electricians, the carpenters, the framers, like, you know, just these, all these different industries, there are, there has been massive turnover. Um, I mean, in, in every industry, in the accountants industry, the lawyers industry, like it's a very big problem. I don't know. There's not really any way to combat that because a business is a business. You know, if there's one person doing the job, then that's not really a business. So if you go to Tom's handyman service or Tom, the mechanic at Billy Bob's outboard repair center, well, Billy Bob's the worker, the one working on your engine, but that's not really a business. Whenever you go to a Marina or a business where they've got three, four, five technicians, um, that is going to be a problem because there's just, there's no way some night, you know, you go through maybe 20 techs to get two or three good ones. And then once you get a good one, then they try and hold on to them. But like you're saying, it's a problem and they are coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And, and the competency of them aren't as good as it used to be for whatever reason. You know, I, I think it all depends on your region and what's available. Cost of living in a lot of areas is, has been a problem, but this is an economic discussion, not really, you know, an outboard mechanic or boat discussion it's that's a a larger deal to be talking about because the business isn't going to slow lower their prices they're not going to just be like oh you know now my techs aren't as good as they used to be so i'm going to go from charging 150 an hour to charging 100 an hour because my techs aren't as good that just won't work because they've got all kinds of operating expenses to run the business from the insurance to liability stuff, to the tools, to the training, to the equipment, to the parts, to the um, dealership requirements, to the, um, the, the electricity, the water, the facility, the real estate taxes. I mean, like all the operating expenses of a business, those aren't going to go away just because the competency of the techs isn't as it was. So you're talking about a big problem that's all over the place, not just for, you know, the boating industry. So not sure how to really go on with that one. So I guess we'll just end it there and we will see you next week. If you want any other topics to be covered, comment below, email us at askbab at boardingandboating.com and also check out our boaters program at boardingandboating.com. We'll see you next week.